Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, this is Joel Mark Harris and welcome to Publishing for Profit. This is our very first episode where we interview Justin Lamb of 360 Media. We talk a lot about marketing, we talk branding, and of course we talk about what's on everybody's mind these days, which is COVID-19. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Hello, Justin, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. Uh, We've got Justin Lamb here, who is the owner of 360 Media, and they do uh, production and branding. Uh, Hello, Justin. Hey, Joel. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, So um, we'll dive right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about your agency and what you guys do? Yeah, so 360 started in uh, 2001, um, mm-hmm. and we focused primarily um, at that time weddings. So weddings was where we first cut our teeth into the industry, working on live events. Um, in 2002, we got the opportunity to uh, move into the corporate space because we had a, a couple of clients who requested uh, photographers for their businesses. And um, since then, we've grown uh, both divisions. Um, and then over time, we added video, photo booths, um, and then now today, we're into the uh, strategy and branding portion of what we do, um, and that's serving clients to help them find their tribe and keep their tribe of uh, reading bands. Cool. So, so you started out, I think, primarily as a photographer. Can you tell us a little bit what inspired you to do the photography side and the production side and what what that's why is that interesting to you well the honest truth about it is i kind of fell into it um i had a degree in kinesiology at sfu and i actually had a rehab clinic at the time 360 started um but i ran into carpal tunnel syndrome and i had to find a way out of it and photography was never actually really in the picture at, at one point um it was somebody suggested it uh, I, I was resistant at the time and i said you know, who the heck makes uh, a living out of photography. Uh, but the more I stood on it, the, the more I decided to maybe take a look into it and not be judgmental. Um, and at the time in the yellow pages, if you can remember what that is, the big yellow book, um, there were only about 50 uh, photographers in Vancouver. Uh, and, you know, I, I explored it a little bit further and, you know, there weren't that many who did weddings. And so um, I decided to make that jump uh, jump into it and give it a try, see how it would work. Um, and, you know, much to my surprise at the time, the industry actually did really well for me. Uh, at that point, photography was still voodoo because everyone is still shooting film and everybody prayed to God that the film turned out. Um, and so, you know, we were developing roles and roles of film. So it wasn't necessarily uh, at that time a super viable industry to get into. Um, you do, you did have to know the technicals, uh, and then, you know, pray that, uh, you did a good enough job and you didn't have everybody blinking while you took your photos, but that all changed when we moved into digital. Um, so, but yeah, that was my foray into it. Um, I really love people. I think that's the really biggest differentiator, uh, for what we do. Um, it's 
the ability to connect with people at a very deep level and try to bring out uh, natural states of emotion. And even today, as we work through uh, a lot of the, the work, both in the corporate environment um, and in our wedding division, uh, we free, really focus on that intimate relationship between us and our clients. And that doesn't involve us telling them to smile, but instead drawing from their own personal experiences and um, things that are relevant in their world to create uh, that emotion out of them. Cool. Where do you see the production industry going? I mean, with, you know, iPhone cameras being so um, like the 4K, so high quality now, um, what role do you see yourself playing in this? Well, the technology has really changed the landscape. Um, it's much to the bane of my existence because um, every time that we keep up with it, it's a lot of money out the window. Uh, but that being said, the barrier to entry for most people is quite low um, you know, to get yourself started. Uh, and the technology is so good that you can do quite a bit with it. And so the variance comes in the small intangibles like learning how to light and you know, the, the the ability to connect with a person and draw the best in them. Um, so that being said, and I get a lot of flack for this in my community, uh, I think that photography by its very nature has become a commodity, less a service. Mm. And I think people value it less, uh, maybe not so much value it less, but uh, put a, a lower emphasis on the photographer end of things. I think they value images. I mean, that's why Instagram is so so popular and um, you know, that's why TikTok is, is still picking up. People still love it. But I think the acceptance for the level of quality has decreased. Um, you know, they're willing to accept a lower standard um, but higher volume model. And that, that sort of turns us as a service industry into more of a commodity. Um, you know, unless you're extremely boutique and you have a real special sauce about you where you can command a higher dollar, I think the, the average is, is uh, becoming a commodity. Cool. Can you walk me through, because I went through this uh, process, um, but walk us through your onboarding process, because I think it's really unique and, and it's not something that a lot of other, you know, photographers, production agencies actually do. Yeah. Uh, for us, because we have, uh, a deep connection with wanting to produce brands um, and because we're storytellers by nature, the, the onboarding process for us is really a comprehensive look at everything. Um, it's identifying the people that you want to approach. Um, you know, in certain instances, uh, it, might, it might involve a, a deeper look into it, especially if we're into the strategy portion of it. Um, but just purely from a photographer standpoint, you know, I want to have a deeper look and understanding of who you're trying to target, what that looks like, how you use it, where does it get put in front of, um, what mediums are they on, are you designing on top of them, um, are they going to be printed in black and white, are they going to be in color, uh, are they going to be square, are they going to be rectangular, um, you know, and the whole nine yards. Uh, and that allows me then to craft a, uh, a visual, um, an aesthetic that will uh, a jive with the brand and not necessarily impose my own brand and my own biases to it um, it's to really understand and then embody that brand uh, for the client and then for our our agency portion is much the same um, but we dive deeper into that comprehensive uh, evaluation cool 
Um, so I think photography production, video production is a part of an overall content marketing strategy that you um, obviously are very skilled at. Can you, what are some things businesses can do to help with a, with a content marketing strategy? I think the first thing that a company should really focus on is creating a, a solid brand. Uh, and, and that means that you're understanding not only what you stand for and what you believe in and you know how the people in your organization uh, move that needle, uh, but then also understanding the type of people that that attracts into your ecosystem. And if the people that you want to attract and the people that you are attracting aren't uh, the same, then you need to look at the marketing strategy first before you get into the production and, and whatnot. Because if you have muddled marketing and you're not really quite sure what and who you want, and if you're not attracting those people currently, uh, then that disconnect will translate into whatever medium you're doing, whether it's copywriting and things that you're doing, um, or in the production and where we're doing photography for, you know, or video for those people. What, so, for brands, if you if you start with brand, I've had clients come and say, I don't really care about brands. What would you say, the, you know, they just want sales, they just want, you know, to make money, basically. What would you say to those people who don't think about their brands in a strategic way? Well, one of the things that we do do, um, and it's something that when we did it with you, we didn't really need to because I think you understand brand very well. Um, but uh, for clients that don't understand brand, uh, I, I do have an audit and um, uh, survey that they must conduct. Um, and when it gives them context and gives me context of what it is that they uh, believe in. And if they're resistant to that, then they're not going to be my clients because mm -hmm. the clients that we have um, are people who are deeply involved and deeply care about their business. And if they're caring about the bottom line only, um, then that likely doesn't serve us because we as a company value relationships um, over the money. And, you know, if a person is straight uh, after the goods and straight after the sale, the, the chances are that we don't align culturally. And I would rather say no than to pick it up regardless of how good that money is. Because mm -hmm. I know that at the end, um, I'm gonna end up having to t put on what you, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, swear here, but- Sure, um, go for it. <laughs> okay, but, but I, I tack on the asshole tax, so to speak. Um, and, and that's, there's a level of which you're willing to work at. And then there is a level that you have to charge above for you to be happy and do it with a smile and want to work with an individual because they, he or she is a dick face. Um, and so if you're, if you're going to be highly resistant and highly, um, uh, combative to the process, um, that you know, you've hired us for and you, you like what our secret sauce is and how we've done it for other people, then you're interrupting what makes us special and how we, we get that. And if that's the case, then we're just going to battle back and forth. And then the end result is nobody's going to be happy. And, you know, I'm not going to be happy about what I've done for that individual because that I'd feel slimy about doing something where I didn't believe that their brand was pushing out something that, uh, that they believed in or that I would want to believe in back. Um, and then for their end is that, you know, they're going to distrust what I've said as a brand. And yeah, that's never good for any party. And, and it's hard sometimes because sometimes they do throw a, a, 
fairly huge chunk of change. Um, but to say no to that takes, uh, um, takes integrity uh, and it takes uh, a real fortitude about it uh, to, to resist the money uh, over uh, ethics and morals. For sure. I think to how I look at it is, you know, you're, the money is good in the short term, but it's not good for your brand overall and your company because you're ultimately not producing the high quality work that you you want to, right? And that quality work you can use to attract other clients. Yeah, um, and, and you think about it though, but like that, that's the part that, that's hard because sometimes it's not the small people because the small people, like the small business owners are easy to say no to. Mm-hmm. But when you get like a big shiny object, like, you know, a Rogers or a Samsung or, you know, uh, in, in our case, a lot of the financial industry people, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's sometimes really hard to say no. Um, and, and to do that requires a, an immense amount of integrity and fortitude for it. Yeah. Can you walk us through some of the questions you, um, you use in your brand audit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the key questions that we ask, it's one of the very first ones, is uh, how do you view your business? Uh, and the reason why we ask that is because uh, we want to understand from the owner's perspective what they think their business is. Uh, and then we follow that up as well, what do they think their employees think about their business? Sometimes that leads them to be... Um, up in arms because they would want to believe one thing, but then to really want to dig deep and find out uh, means that they're having to go ask and that puts them in a vulnerable state. Um, But that's that state that you'll need to be in order for you to grow and to solidify your brand. And then following that, we ask them what their community thinks of their brand. And that's important too, because if he views himself as the Prada or the Gucci and everybody views him as the Walmart, then you have a disconnect. And so what they're buying um, and what, and what you're selling doesn't match and you're likely having issues with, you know, sales and or retention. Um, So, you know, we look at those three things first is, you know, what do you see yourself? What do the people see you as? And what does the community at large see you as? Cool. Do you, find that there is a major difference with small businesses opposed to large. And what I mean by that is I, I would imagine that small businesses, they, um, their employees, their community knows um, what the, the owner is about and what the, the brand is about. Whereas there can be a lot more um, disconnect with larger brands. Well, I don't think that large brands um, or small brands differ all too much, except for the layers that are in between them. And so as you allude, like, you know, things from the top down on a big company sometimes get lost in the, in the uh, uh, front uh, lines, so to speak. But that happens in small business too. Um, and sometimes, I mean, a two-man team can have high disconnect just as much mm-hmm. as a 600-person company. Uh, and that really comes down to the ability for the owners uh, or management to be able to distill something that matches both what they think, what their people think, and what the community thinks at large. And, you know, you can see it um, when people are just entering an industry, they're just copying people that they admire, um, but that doesn't necessarily um, jive with their own personal values. Uh, and so the way that they treat people um, and the way that they interact with their clients are different than the person that they admire. And they wonder why they can't 
cut it. And it's because they're not using their own secret sauce um, and they're trying to impose somebody else's secret sauce in there. But that secret sauce belongs to the person that you admire. Um, and so they have to find their voice. And that's why they often struggle, at least in the photography industry, that's a, a big, big piece of the pie is um, it's, it sort of relates to imposter syndrome where you don't think that you're worthy of doing something yet you admire that person. So you mimic absolutely everything. Uh, but there comes a point where you get tired of it um, and you're not able to do that at scale anymore. And big businesses are no different. Big businesses, they'll have their big words and big vision statements up on the board. Um, you know, let's just say, take for instance, that they care for their people. But if they don't, if they really care for their people, um, then the people at the bottom, it doesn't matter how much money that you're, you're paying them. I, I mean, you know, as long as you're within your regulated laws, I mean, they're, there are other things that are involved with it, but caring for your people goes above and beyond um, just keeping them employed. It's making them feel safe, making them feel valued. And there are other intangibles that go along with it. Um, so if management says that, you know, we care about our people and, you know, the company does well and upper management get raises, but nobody gets bonuses, well, that's a disconnect, right? And so, you know, your, your employees might go, well, we had a bang up year last year and, you know, management gave himself a, a bonus. Why don't we get anything extra? Uh, and and then that's the disconnect between how your people view you versus how you view yourself, right? And so yeah, mm -hmm. and it just percolates all the way through. Cool. Um, I want to switch uh, topics for a sure. little bit. Um, what do you do for continual learning, and where do you get your information from? I spend a good amount of time on podcasts. Um, I look into different industries not related to my own, um, looking for parallels and looking for things that might indicate um, a deeper knowledge and understanding of the world that we live in. And I think that gives me the ability to be a more comprehensive player uh, when it comes to evaluating and trying to create uh, infrastructure for, for people. Um, I think one of the people that I love the most is probably Ray Dalio mm. um, in, in that I think uh, he has both a very scientific mind and a very creative mind in that sense. Um, and, and yes, that even though he's in the financial industry, I mean, he built one of the world's largest hedge funds um, and that doesn't come easy. Uh, there, there are thousands of people in the world with similar skill sets, but you know, what, what, what makes him special? Um, and what type of wisdom can, can I extract from, from somebody like that? Um, and then the motivational side of things more so to keep, keep you hungry for knowledge. And that's the Tony Robbins. Um, that's the Robin Sharma's, um, the Jay Shetty's, um, the Gary Vaynerchuk's. Um, I think a lot of those people, um, echo some of the sentiments that I've held. Uh, and I guess that's why I resonate with them. It's because I had those beliefs prior to encountering them. Uh, and some of them provide us or provide me with a confirmation of what I'm doing, that it does work in, in practice. And somebody's done it at scale ahead of me. Um, and if you can do it, if somebody can do it once, it can be done again, so to speak. Cool. What you mentioned podcasts, what some of the podcasts are you listening to now? Um, I still listen to the gas Gary V show. Um, I decided out of a whim to start at the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, and try to listen my way up. I, and I've gotten, uh, I think, to 2017 at this point. Um, so I'm a little bit behind on the newer, newer stuff, but I'm, I'm trying to catch up, uh, so to speak, and 
uh, although a lot of it is repeated, it's, it's, there's still really small nuggets that you can glean out of the old stuff um, that is pertinent today. Um, I like listening to Kerwin Ray. Um, he's an Australian, uh, yeah, I believe he's in Australia. Um, and then a couple of health ones, which is kind of interesting. My wife kind of turned me on to that. Um, I turned her on to podcasts and I introduced her, but then she went down the health road of podcasts. Um, and so, you know, I sneak in one or two every so often, but for the most part, um, those would be the top two or three that I would listen to. Cool. Uh, you, I know you, you speak about Gary Vee a lot. Can you tell me a little bit about the impact he's had on your life? Well, I think the reason why I like Gary so much is because a lot of what he says out in public um, are things that I've thought about and, and believe in um, for, for a long, long time. And, you know, I try to operate in a very similar fashion. Um, and I think at the time before I, I encountered him, I always questioned whether what I was doing was right, uh, whether serving the people in my organization um, first and foremost, and, you know, working not as their boss, but, you know, working for them is, is something that I really resonated about it. Um, and then, of course, some of the viewpoints that he has in the world of the digital landscape, I, I firmly believe that the market is the market. Um, and, you know, you can do your best to position yourself within that. But at the same time, um, if somebody's not buying for you, uh, from you, uh, it's it's not the market's fault. It's your own um, because there are probably people uh, in that same marketplace that are just killing it, and they've got that secret sauce and they know how to push that out there. So uh, it's I, I like it because he's real about it. Um, and as you know uh, from our many dealings, uh, I, I tend to be quite candid with with that sort of stuff as well. Um, I, I really don't sugarcoat it, and I don't expect people to sugarcoat it for me. Uh, which is why I think a lot of the tribe of people that I hang out with are probably a, a lot more blunt. Um, mm. and, and that's good for, for all people. I think it saves us energy. <laughs> yeah, I agree there. Uh, something I'm still working on though. Um, Gary V, I think he, um, one of his teachings is that, you know, try to be as in, on many, as many digital platforms as possible. Can you tell us a little bit about your thinking about how to spread your content, how to um, be in a, like basically everywhere at, at every time and yeah, just your thinking around that? Well, so Gary's V philosophy on that is not just to be on every platform, it's to be available. Um, and, and that's a big difference. It's not just being on a platform, but it's trying to reduce the friction points of which a person can consume and or experience your content. Uh, and so by it, extrapolation it means that you're trying to put it everywhere um, but it's not necessarily duplicating the same content absolutely everywhere it's curating that content so that it's fits on the platform that you're using it on so you know whether it's on Facebook whether it's on LinkedIn um, each one has a different tone and voice um, whether it's a podcast um, make it easier for your market to consume and the reason why that is is because the TV is no longer the front and center of our attention. And in fact, that's our front and center of our attention, right? Uh, and, and because everything is tied into that phone, uh, we are at a point of our lives where you're going to have to be on all these different platforms because each person is on there for a different reason. And 
you're not going to be able to reach the masses traditionally. Uh, and so that just means that you have to roll up the sleeves and be, you know, right in it and distributing your content across all these different platforms. Cool. Is there a book or a series of books that have impacted you? And if so, uh, why and in what way? Okay, so I'm really bad with titles. So those who are listening to it, um, take it with a grain of salt. But I really do love leadership books. Um, one that uh, in particular was given to us by a mutual friend, Mark, um, is one by Jocko Wilnick. Um, and that is, I have it, but okay. It is. Yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about from uh, the tip of my tongue, I think. I, I know. Um, <laughs> and, and I read both of the books. Um, and, and like I said, I'm really, really bad with it. And that's the other part is, is like, I read a book and I'll tear through it and I'll take whatever nuggets of wisdom, but I might not necessarily ever remember where it came from. Um, so yeah, I apologize to everybody, but Jocko Willick um, is uh, um, extreme ownership. That's the one. Yes. Okay? So extreme ownership is, is one uh, of them. And then he has another one. Um, and again, I, I'm going to remember the title halfway through. So if I scroll, please excuse me. Um, the other one that I really like is uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, I have it on audiobook. I regret not buying the hardcover, but you know, once everything's back and I'm running, I probably will buy the hardcover. Um, other ones that I really enjoy, I actually enjoyed the corporation. Um, mm. I don't know if you've ever read that. I've one. never, but, no, yeah, never read that yeah, one. That one's an interesting one. Um, was it, um, automatic wealth is kind of an interesting one for mm. me. And, um, that one deals with the finances and actually just the perpetual habits um, that we need to make in order to be successful. So I don't necessarily take it as automatic wealth and millionaire, like, you know, most people uh, assume, but I take it for its granular value about instilling um, small, minute changes over a long period of time yields great results. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's the, the, the crux of it. But, you know, those would be the big ones. And then um, all the, stuff from Tony Robbins I like listening to, but I don't necessarily have any of the actual physical books. Yeah. I think for me, if there's one piece of advice that is the most important is that taking those small actions exactly will, will yield big results down the line and how, you know, you, you won't see them, you know, tomorrow, even a year from now, especially like, you know, in my industry in SEO, um, those small steps, you will not necessarily see them, soon but you know come five years from now you'll be glad that you did them yeah and i think people don't understand um the value of copywriting mm -hmm. and uh the value of doing seo work is you know at one point seo was really quick to rise into the ranks of things but google and amongst all the other search engines they change those algorithms so uh frequently that trying to keep up with them and staying on top is a really difficult portion of it mm -hmm. but what people forget is that the content that you put out now, um, it's supposed to be evergreen. It's, it's allowing you to be indexed better and more robustly over a period of time. And, you know, as you said, it's not about being, um, uh, it's not about being immediate, but it is about being everywhere at, you know, at, at a given time point. And you're going to, you're going to value what that ha what happens at that point. It's, you're going to have money coming in the door and you're not going to understand why that happened. Um, because you'll just, you know, liken it to the latest and greatest thing that you've been doing, but it actually probably wasn't. It's probably mm. the stuff that you did two or three years ago that is finally coming to fruition. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think people are uh, are not valuing that now as mm. much as they used to. How do you, uh, going back, how do you practice extreme ownership in your life and in your business? Uh, everything that we do in the business is uh, to be accountable for ourselves. And I've instilled that from top down, um, you know, in, in our organization, it's, uh, if a person messes up and, and we have mess ups, I mean, every business does. Uh, and if you say you don't, then you're, you're either, uh, very, uh, unconnected to your business, uh, or you're just straight up lying. But we practice ownership, um, in that I try to make it a safe place for our team to do make and grow. Um, and, and all that comes with having mistakes and some cost me a, a pretty penny. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it means that I didn't either provide them enough context or I didn't do my part in it. And it's when you own it that way, um, you make it safe for them to explore and be, um, able to voice their needs uh, from an organization standpoint and saying that, hey, I'm not being supported enough to make a proper decision or to conduct my work properly. Um, whereas if you're barking at them all the time, you're not taking ownership because you're pushing that off. You're, you're not owning that you're not providing enough context and you're just frustrated uh, because they can't do everything like you do. And, and nobody does. Um, you know that's because you are you and your decisions and your experiences all make that up. So when leaders are barking commands and they're expecting everybody to critically think, you can't have both. Um, they don't critically think if they're barking command, if you're barking commands and they're just having to follow them. Um, and, and then it's like every other muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. So mm -hmm. if you want them to critically think, you have to give them that space to critically think. And we do that the same with our daughter. Um, and that's extreme ownership. It's when you tell her something and you own up to it. Um, and, and, and she catches you. I mean, kids are smart. Like they, like mine is like a little lawyer uh, and she'll catch the, the, the little, little differences in words. Um, and, and she'll use it against you. And rather than yelling back, like most parents do, we, we acknowledge that she's caught us in, in, the in the, uh, the, when they get the catch 22 um, and we let her win the argument and that empowers her uh, to critically think and you know not be a robot about things which means that as she's growing up she can make better decisions and I can trust that she makes those decisions based on critical thinking and logic and not just you know willy-nilly so you'll watch my child at an age of four you know, using an extremely sharp knife to cut vegetables instead of the safety knives, because I know that she's made critical thinking, um, you know, decisions on to put the knife down uh, in a safe spot and then do something versus like another child who has mom and dad watching over them all the time with safety scissors or safety knives um, and, and not letting them critically think and explore. Cool. I think, yeah, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm very passionate about is, um, teaching entrepreneurial skills to young people. Cause I think what you just said is, is super important. You know, the critical thinking logic, are there any other skills from your journey through entrepreneurship that you would like to teach her or are teaching her? Um, empathy and compassion. Um, I, 
as much as a hard ass as I am, and and you know this, um, you know from from our role as leadership on on our BNI um, chapter, but my stance on it is, uh, I believe that giving the people the frame and context to do their work, um, and then letting them push those boundaries allows things to be creative uh, and allows for solutions that I wouldn't necessarily think of um, to come to light in, a, in an environment. And so much the same is I will do the same with Belle, um, my little one. And she, I'll lay out the context and the, the structure of which she is able to operate in. Um, whether that's she has to be confined to a specific space for a certain reason, um, we outlay all of the, the rules and regulations around it. And then I let her be, and I watch, and I don't, I don't hover over her, but I let her ask me questions, and that's being open to teaching. Um, and so we, we translate that here at the studio. It's I'll give them framework on what it is that, I, that needs to happen, the end result. Um, but I let them do the calculus equation to get to that result. Um, and then I ask them why they chose that. Um, and, and that's part of being accountable. It's if they're doing it and they can't give me a, a real reason why they've done it or they can't back that up, then I need them to reevaluate um, that. And that allows them to be critical thinkers um, and to know that somebody at the other end isn't just going to take it for face value. Cool. So um, I want to talk about something topical right now. Right now, we are in the middle of a COVID-19 crisis, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. What, uh, you know, I think you have a very strong business mindset. What would you tell other businesses who have to either, you know, you know, drastically shrink their business or close down? How, what would you tell them to get through this time? Uh, so there's so many variables to that. So I'm just going to pick one uh, particular avatar and that's a uh, spudding and starting business. Uh, and anybody who's maybe seasoned can take it with a grain of salt or, you know, extrapolate from this, but there is no shame in you having to close things down. I think people, a lot of people feel that shame um, and, or feel, uh, like they're not serving their people because they have to close their doors or they have to lay them off. Um, and, and the honest truth is, is you are trying to protect those people. And if you look at the flip side, by doing that, you're trying to live to fight another day. Um, and, and in this case, it's hard because we don't know when that other day will be. And so if it was, if it's only a month and you had a definitive timeline, then yeah, I think a lot of people would just try to keep the doors open and just kind of hunker down. Um, maybe not spend as frivolously as, as possible uh, as they would normally, but for a, a timeline where we don't know when that's going to happen, you know, some people don't have more than a month's worth of, of a war chest to, to bank. And then when the revenue completely dries up, it's not even a trickle. It's not a, a lull in the industry like they were in 2010 and 2009. Uh, it's a straight out stop for a lot of industries and, and that's detrimental uh, to cash flow. So by being open and honest to yourself about what, it, what you need to do to live and fight another day uh, doesn't just serve yourself. It serves the people who are going to be there beside you to live and fight another day. Because if you attracted them in the first place and they still feel like 
you care and you're in their corner, they're going to come back. Um, you know, it's just a matter of time. And, you know, uh, the other thing is, is don't be afraid that um, you might have to go get a job to support and bring and resuscitate your uh, on life support business. Uh, because there's no shame in that either. I think a lot of people feel like once they put on the entrepreneur hat, going into getting a job is, uh, it's a knock on their pride. Uh, but they shouldn't look at it like that. It's again, it's it's living to fight another day. And if you're an entrepreneur by na nature, um, you know, you're gonna find a way to, to come back. Um, and, and the greats in history have all done that. They've, they've gone from zero to hero and back up uh, and back down and over and over again. Um, but the, the techniques and the willpower and the drive don't change. So I, I think that would be the, the one thing I would maybe advise people um, at this time. Cool. Yeah. I think for me, and I think for like, like a lot of other businesses, as you mentioned, it's not knowing, right. It's not knowing whether we're going to be in this for, you know, a month, two months, three months, whatever. Um, so I, I know it's, you know, especially for businesses who like to plan and to um, project their quarterly earnings, it's definitely very difficult. Should should businesses keep marketing and how should they market if so during this time? Yeah, absolutely. Marketing is super important. It doesn't matter when or where. Um, I mean, you can spend money or you can do it yourself. And if there's no money to spend, then do it yourself. Don't be lazy about it. This is the time to learn. Um, as an entrepreneur, you already have the first idea of how to market because that's how you got your first set of customers. So you just have to do it over and over again on different platforms. And whatever was successful for you once will be successful you, for you in, in another platform. You just have to figure out how that platform works and how to spin that same secret sauce. Um, because the message and the branding, if done right, should, should last you for quite, quite some time. Um, it's when they have to disconnect that you go to rebrand and then you try new things. But if you knew how to sell it the first time to a person on the street or your best friend um, and you grew your business and you're, you're at a point where you're generating revenue, then the chances are you know how to do it and you just have to learn the quirks of each platform and how the people on that platform operate. What are some of the things that you are doing to market right now? So... Uh, I have a podcast. Uh, the podcast is part marketing, part trial and error. It's, a, it's allowing us to understand how people consume uh, podcasts, uh, how to distribute them. Um, but it also is allowing us to create perpetual content that is uh, indexed, well, will be indexable. It currently isn't fully indexable um, uh, via Alexa and or Echo. But um, I think down the road that that's going to be a big thing where they're going to be able to index content, um, you know, and because AI is getting so good um, that they're going to be able to transcribe those uh, bits and pieces of audio. And so they're going to start picking up things like, you know, talking about, let's say, remote work. And, you know, I'll have a video and a podcast about that. And so Alexa is going to pick up on that and I'm going to float to the top uh, versus somebody who might have deeper knowledge, but not necessarily have done any marketing in that sense. And the other part is to be front and center on social media platforms. And that's brand awareness and establishing credibility. Um, it's putting it in front of as many people as possible and trying to, uh, to find your tribe. And, and that's, that's the difference. A lot of people feel like it should be a sell and it's 
really a reach tool. It's to, to take the hundreds of thousands of people that will get put in front of and curating down to your top thousand ranking fans. Um, and so, as you saw in January, prior to this really becoming a big thing, um, you know, we had ads everywhere and it was for brand awareness and people would go, well, yeah, you're, you're starting to crop up everywhere in my feed. And that's what I want. I want you to remember and see the colors. I want you to see the logo and I want it emblazoned in your head. Uh, and, you know, the people who click through is being curated through, I mean, the proverbial funnel, but it's learning to find my tribe and those people who resonate with what's on our website and what we're producing and what we're doing for other people. Um, you know, of those 100,000 people, uh, you know, 10, 20 of them were going to go and click through and say, hey, you know, I want to be part of this tribe. Uh, and that's what you really want is you want the tribe of people who are going to be with you thick and thin. Okay. So would you recommend, I, I feel like there's definitely two types of advertising out there. There's the people who are just um, ignoring the whole crisis, the whole pandemic, um, and they're just um, using the same marketing messages that they used before. And, and often I feel like they're not working. Um, would you change your message or, or would you continue with the same marketing messages you used before COVID-19? There's a different way to look at it. If you think about it this way, uh, and I guess it depends on the industry that you're in and what you're pandering, okay? Um, you can change the message slightly to be more empathetic, but if you're selling a product that you think is useful to other people, you gotta remember, it's still a statistics game, right? Um, it's, you know, you have to put it in front of enough people for them to want to purchase it. And, that just means that you still have to do that same abrupt advertising. The message is the same, but the entry point, the way that you do it, the soft skill to get into that person's head is different. Okay. So the message is the same. Uh, it's still buy my product, mm -hmm. but it's rather than saying, Hey, like, like you have an abundance of money. I know you do like buy my product. It's like, Hey, I know times are tough, but have you ever considered that this, uh, could be a solution for the long term. And I'm not asking you to buy it now, but I'm asking you to maybe consider it for when times are better. Um, and you're farming it. Um, and, and you are technically supposed to be farming rather than trying to hit them um, it, with direct sales. I think that nowadays people are, are very immune or uh, very put off by like in your face, buy my shit uh, kind of sales. Uh, and so it's still buy my product, but can you find a softer way to enter that conversation? It's being human instead mm -hmm. of being that sleazy used car salesman with the polyester polka dot suit. So would you still recommend if you can to do like Google advertising, do Facebook advertising, uh, spend money on social media? Again, another variable, it depends on your financial runway um, and it depends on uh, the type of, product or service that you are doing. Um, I think that there should be multiple prong approaches. Um, if you have the budget, then putting out ads, um, you know, specifically targeting, targeting uh, unique demographics that may not be affected as much um, by COVID-19. So things like, um, you know, there's 
there's funding for construction here, but I, I'm not sure where it is in, in the other parts of the world. But let's just say right now, medical um, is still a viable industry. Uh, some consultants are, are viable. Digital marketing agencies can semi-viable. Um, you know, frontline workers like nurses and stuff, they're still bringing in revenue. Um, you know, and those people you can target still. You know, you can target the ultra wealthy who still have an abundance of, of money. Um, you know, with AdWords and whatnot, I think you just have to be strategic in what you're doing. Uh, the other part of, of that approach is then doing the long-term stuff. And that is doing um, stuff that's related to, um, hold on, I lost you here. Uh, that's related to long-term keywording. Uh, that's um, SEO, blog work, uh, doing things that are relatively free, like podcasts, YouTube videos, um, where the barrier to entry is like your phone and an internet connection. Um, and, and that's just practicing your messaging. So th there's two-prong approach rather than all paid or, or whatnot. It just depends if you have the financial runway. Get in front of the people now because the cost per click is going to go down because you know people aren't dumping as much money in, mm -hmm. um, and so you can take advantage of the discounted sales, so to speak, just like you would in the stock market, um, and and ride that until it comes back up to par, and you'll 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 likely not be any worse off than if you you waited. Um, but I think right now, focus on the long term keywords is a really big important part. Cool. All right, Justin, we'll uh, cap it off there. Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can our listeners find you? Well, I'm everywhere. As you can imagine, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. So you can look up 360 Media for pretty much all of those. Um, you know, I'm most active probably on Instagram, and that's at 360photo. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough when I was uh, first starting out to buy Instagram at 360media. Uh, I bought 360photo um, and you have to spell it all out. And that's another, that's another business mistake, but for a whole new podcast. Uh, and what is your podcast called? Uh, Digging Deep. Um, Digging Deep. This is, yep. So you can find it on Spotify, but you can look up our name at 360media uh, um, on Spotify and, and you'll find it there. Cool. Thank you so much, Justin. And it's uh, been great having you. Thanks Bye for so much, Joel. Take You're care. welcome. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.